0: 15 years ago, we moved to Texas. And we were living in a small little rental house in Waxahachie. I don't know if any of you guys know where that is, um, just south of, you know, Dallas. And we were trying to find ways because we had four kids at that point, trying to find ways to conserve space. So my wife and I were walking around Ikea, very dangerous place to be. And we're looking around and we saw this loft bed. It's kind of a wooden loft bed. And It was neat because, like I said, we were in a smaller space, so the bed was lifted up and there was a whole play area underneath. And so I'm looking at it for just a few minutes, and I turn to Sarah and I'm like, I could build this. And she looks at me and she's like, no, it's not that much, like, we should probably just buy it. And I'm like, no, I really think I could build this, I'm going to do this. And so we go home, now once again, this is before TikTok, do it yourself, or YouTube videos or any of those things. I've looked at this bed for about five minutes, and I've kind of got in my mind how it works. And so I go home, get the measurements, um, go to whatever kind of hardware store was around us, get the lumber, call up one of my friends, and I'm like, "Hey, we're going to build this bunk bed, okay?" First mistake was I bought cheap lumber, so it's like twisting and it's warped. But I just assume, "Hey, as soon as I screw it in, it'll kind of straighten itself out, like it'll be okay." After a full day's what felt like a fool's day's work. I had somewhat of a bed that looked like the Ikea loft. Um, and so I put my daughter's mattress on there. Angela gets up on it. I'm like, hey, we are good to go. You guys, I just saved us all of this money. Until a few days later, Angela had a sleepover. And her friend Aaliyah is over. Aaliyah Walters um, was one of her good friends. Came over, and Sarah and I are out in the living room. All of a sudden, back in Angela's room, we hear, boom, And so we take off running, Angela's just a little girl at this point, we take off running and what was a loft bunk bed had turned into a slide. Half of the bed is on the ground, half of it's still in the air, just the mercy of Jesus, no one is hurt or harmed in this story, okay? So they were okay, but I quickly learned that out of all of the things that I have been gifted with, creating bunk beds from scratch is not one of them, you guys, okay? Okay. So that's something that I'm just never going to be really great at. Thankfully, it didn't end badly. Everyone was okay in that. This morning, we are finishing up our series that we've been in for the past few weeks called Describing God. And over the past few weeks, we've been looking at the characteristics, the essence, the nature of God, what makes God, God. In these words that we use as his people to describe who God is, or when we think about God, what are the words that come to mind? And we don't want this to be like a theological practice where we just have more information. We want to get practical. The way that we think about God, how does that affect you going into your workplace? Students, how does that affect you when you're at school? How does that affect us as we walk through the ups and downs of life? We want to look at how we're describing God. One of the things that we've mentioned in this series that is great to remember is we're doing our absolute best as we talk about God and go to scripture, but we are limited, you guys. We're talking about an infinite being who is all-powerful and we are finite, so we're limited in our mental, mental capacity to understand God. Even with all of the human language, we are limited in our vocabulary to describe a God who is so amazing and who is so powerful, and so we realize that. But it doesn't mean we give up on the pursuit. We want to keep learning and understanding and knowing as much as we can about the God who has wanted a relationship with us. And so we've been spending these past few weeks, we talked about holiness. Last week, Pastor AC did an amazing job talking about how God doesn't change. He's immutable. And that's a really amazing thing that God doesn't change. And this morning, we're going to end this series by talking about Yahweh is creator. When we're describing God, the word that describes him is this. He is creator. He is the one who made everything. He is the source of all that we see. He is creator. And we're going to talk about what does that mean for us once again in our lives, this idea that God is creator. Now, when we're talking about this, I realize that both here in this room and those of you may be joining us online, maybe you're not quite there yet, okay? Maybe you're saying, Hey, I'm new to church. I'm new to Christianity. I'm new to the Jesus thing. I don't know what I think about God as creator. And that's totally okay. I want you to know that. We're glad that you're here with us this morning, even if you're not a follower of Jesus. Just that you would be open to this conversation, that's a really great thing. My prayer for you this morning is as we talk about this, that you would start to ask questions like this. Like, if we look at the world around us and we see design, maybe that means there's a designer. If we see this amazing creation that has all of this detail, maybe there's someone who created that. And we want to get to know who that creator is. So maybe that'll help you as we start on this thought. But on my days off, I love to be out and kind of ride my ruckus. That's my little scooter around on some of the back roads here in Mesquite and Sunnyvale area and around. And when I'm up sometimes early in the morning, just as the sun is getting ready to rise, I can still see the moon. I love thinking about just the nature around us and how all of this works together. I don't know if you've ever looked up and just thought about how crazy the moon is. The moon affects stuff here on earth. The moon is this rock that's orbiting the earth. It's 238,000 miles away from us. I mean, that's crazy to think about um, because when we look up, it just looks like this tiny little thing, but it actually affects the earth. It affects low tides and high tides. If you've ever been at the beach or the ocean, and I love standing right when low tide is happening and the water comes in, right, and your feet feet just start to sink into the sand. Anyone else? Some of you guys are probably claustrophobic and that panics you, okay? That's okay. Or high tide, right, when people are surfing, when people are riding the waves in. Never been a surfer. I don't have that good of balance. But all of those things that are affected by this rock that is orbiting the earth, 238,000 miles away. And what's unique is not only is the Earth pulling the moon in that orbit, but the moon itself is pulling on the Earth with its gravitational pull. And when you study, and I I love looking at this, all of the beach and the ocean life, different parts of our ecosystem that are responsible because the moon is pulling on the water and the tides and different animals that use this to feed, different animals that use this for nesting and for breeding, everything that happens both inside the ocean and right there on the beach because of this rock that is 238,000 miles away that we're pulling on and it's pulling on us. It's so unique when you just take a step back and look at it and start to think, man, our world is pretty amazing, the way that it sets up, the way that it is set up and the way that it functions. I love different animals. One of my favorite animals, definitely in my top five live. List is the giraffe okay life goal is to ride a giraffe on the african safari i don't know if you can do that but it's just one of my life goals i would love to do that and when i look at this amazing creature and scientifically like this should not work you guys i don't know if you've ever thought about this but it shouldn't work the giraffe's neck alone is six feet long and just the neck weighs over 600 pounds even though the giraffe has an enormous heart It should not be able to pump blood all the way up to its brain in the way that it does. But the giraffe is uniquely designed. It's one of the only animals that has valves within the blood vessels. And so while the blood is making its way up like it needs to to its brain, these valves open and close to make sure that blood doesn't just pull in the heart or pull in the neck. It is absolutely amazing. One scientist described the giraffe's neck like a compression sock. There are skin and muscles working to move the blood up to where it needs to go. I mean, just so amazing in the way that it was designed. The giraffe should constantly faint and pass out, but it doesn't. Because there is a 20-foot differential when it reaches up and grabs food off of the top leaves of a tree and then bends down to drink in a stream. That kind of difference in blood pressure should automatically make it pass over and faint when it's running on the... You know, the desert there, right there, the desert plain, it should pass out because of the blood not getting to the brain, but it doesn't. It just works. Like when you stop and you look at the creation around us, it is uniquely designed and formed. We're told in the scripture that God delighted in his creation. I think there's moments where God was making things and he just laughed. Like this next animal right here, a duckbill platypus. I don't know if you guys have ever seen this. Any Disney fans? Perry the platypus? Okay. This is what Perry looks like in real life, you guys. Here you go. I mean, one scientist said this is like so many different species all wrapped up into one animal. It has the bill, obviously, of a duck. It has feet like an otter. It has the tail of a beaver. It is a mammal, but it lays eggs like a bird. It's like a shark because I didn't even know this. It uses electrical pulses to sense what's happening in the water. A lot of the water that the duckbill platypus swims in, the streams and the rivers, are really muddy and murky. So it sends out these electrical signals to find out where's predator, where's prey, or are there any objects that it's going to run into, and it's able to tell where it's at and what's in front of it simply by these electrical pulses. It's like a snake, because in its back hind legs, there's like this barb or this fang that sticks out that's connected to a venomous gland, and so if anything tries to attack the duck platypus, it kind of ejects its venom through this barb at its predator to defend itself. I mean, I think God just said, what can I put into one animal? And just started laughing and said, this is what I came up with, you guys. Like, it's really kind of amazing when you look at how unique God's creation, and I could go on and on about how amazing nature is around us, but just look at our own life and how uniquely... We are made and how uniquely we are created. And we're told by scientists all of this is made possible by these strands of DNA and molecules within our body on a cellular level that tells our body how to function and what to do. Just take a moment, if you're here in this room, if you're joining online and you have other people around you, just look around you right now. Okay? How different all of us are. How unique all of us are. Do you realize in this room that 99% of our DNA is exactly the same, exactly the same. It's only that 1% that tells your body when you're born that you should have blonde hair and I should have black hair. Or that you should have blue eyes and I should have dark eyes. Or whatever differences we see on the outside, it's that 1% of our DNA that's coded in there that gives us the uniqueness that we have as individuals. And all of the rest of that is what tells our heart to beat, how our body should function, how organs should work, blood flows, all of those things, breathing. It is absolutely amazing when you look on a molecular level of how we are functioning And they discovered this, that scientists say if you could type 60 words per minute, eight hours a day, it would take you over 50 years to code the human genome. All of those small lines of code built into our bodies on a genetic level of how we're to function and how we are uniquely created and made. All of that, from the moon to animals to even who we are as people, points to one thing, there is a creator. Yahweh is a gifted creator. The God who designed all of this is absolutely amazing and breathtaking in his ability to form and design. He could make an Ikea bed, no problem at all, you guys. That's just who he is. But it's not only in the creation and the world around us, like we see it constantly through scripture, So if you have your Bibles, I want you to open up the scripture this morning and turn to Genesis chapter 1, and we're going to start reading at verse 1. And here in Genesis 1-1, we see this, Yahweh makes something out of nothing. God, he makes something out of nothing. This is who he is as creator. He makes something out of nothing. Genesis 1-1, if you've never read the Bible, this is the very beginning, okay? So this is a good place to start. First lines, first words of the Bible. This is how this story all starts. Genesis 1.1 says this. In the beginning, God, that is Yahweh, created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God simply speaks. And what we know comes into existence. Now, I want you to take a moment and I want you to think about this with me, okay? We're not going to do this for too long because it would hurt our brains. But just imagine a world where nothing exists. There are no minerals. There are no metals. There's no Home Depot God goes to to get things to say, hey, let me build something. It is nothing. There is no time. There is nothing in existence. And God simply with his words, Yahweh with his words, speaks. And all of a sudden, out of nothing, there is some substance that is formed that we now start to classify as the heavens and the earth. And there's water and there's different things that are going on. A matter of fact, when you read this amazing poem of creation, it's not till days later, or it's not till a few verses later, I'm sorry, where the sun, the stars and the moon come into existence. But light happens before that. See, it's reminding us that everything that we see and everything that we know, all of the something that we have around us started as nothing. And it was Yahweh himself who spoke it into existence. He is creator, guys. That's who he is. And verse after verse in this first lines of Genesis says that he created, he created, he created. He saw that it was good. See, he's the God who has nothing to work with. And as he begins to speak, something comes into existence. Now, you may read this and think, yep, he did that at the very beginning, but it doesn't stop there. He's always doing this throughout scripture. A matter of fact, just the next book over, Genesis, and then the next book is Exodus. God takes his people out of slavery in Egypt. If you've ever heard this story, they were slaves for 400 years in Pharaoh, they get out in the desert and they're like, way to go, God. You got us out of Egypt, but now we have nothing to eat. Good job, buddy. Okay, so they're pretty mad at God, right? And they're like, it would have been better to be slaves back in Egypt. Why didn't you just leave us there? At least we have food there. They go to bed that night mad at God. And when they wake up in the morning, bread, freshly baked bread is covering the desert floor. There's no wheat out there. There's no barley. There's no rye. There's nothing like that. And yet when they wake up, There's bread covering the desert floor. And it doesn't just happen for one night. It happens for 40 years. They can't explain it. But out of nothing, God makes something. In John chapter 9, you see this story. The Son of God, Jesus, is walking here on the earth. And they come across this man who was born blind. He cannot see. The disciples really don't understand. And they're like, hey, God is Are you punishing this man? Are you punishing his parents? Did he sin? Did his parents sin? How come he's born without sight? And Jesus is like, you don't understand what's going on. And this is what he says in John chapter 9. And so he replies to his disciples, "Um, it's neither of that. It's for the glory of God. So Jesus spits on the ground. He makes some mud with his spit. He puts it on the man's eyes, and he goes and tells them, hey, go wash in the pool of Shalom, which means sent." And so the man went and washed, and he came home seeing. Moments earlier, this guy had no context for green, yellow, purple, red, okay? Maybe through touch, he kind of knew what a tree was like, or he knew the shape of a human's face if someone close to him let him kind of feel their face, but but he had never seen any of that. He had never visually perceived anything in his life, and out of that nothing, God makes something. There was nothing magical in the mud. There was nothing even magical about Jesus' spit, okay? That's not what it was. This is Yahweh who is creator that constantly takes nothing, and he makes something out of it. It's just what he does. In John chapter 11, just a few chapters over, he stands outside of the grave of one of his best friends who has been dead for days, and where there is no pulse, where there is no heartbeat, where there is no brainwaves, after days, Jesus simply speaks, Lazarus, get up and come forth. And Lazarus steps up out of the grave and begins to walk again. He is the God who takes nothing and he makes something. Yahweh is creator. It's what he continually does over and over again in the scripture. This is not the God that said, let me get it all started and then just keep it going, you guys. This is a God who creates and he creates and he creates. But it's not just in the physical world. It's not just in what we can kind of touch around us. Yahweh creates in our lives. We see this. Yahweh is the giver of dreams and destinies. See, in the parts of our world that we can't touch, on the emotional level, on the hopes and the dreams, the purposes of our life, Yahweh is the one who steps in and continues to create because he gives dreams and destinies. We see this in Genesis chapter 17, verse 1. So this is just a few chapters after the beginning of the Bible, and we're seeing kind of the history of men and women unfold, and we come across this guy. This is what it says in Genesis 17, verse 1. It says, when Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him, and he said to him, I am the God Almighty, I am God Almighty, walk before me faithfully and blamelessly, and I will make a covenant between me and you, and will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell face down, and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham. And that literally means, for I have made you the father of many nations. That's what that name meant. Now, you could read this, and if you don't know Abram's story up until this point, you could think, kind of makes sense, right? Maybe he's like Aaron. He has eight kids, right? So, like, he's a great granddad at this point. He has eight kids, his kids have eight kids. All of a sudden, you get quite a few people really quickly in that scenario, right? But Abram is 99 years old without him and his wife, Sarai, even having one kid. And Abram's got to be thinking, Yahweh, you got the wrong guy. That ship has sailed, buddy, okay? Like, my wife's 90 years old. She's right at about 90. Like, that is not going to happen in this lifetime. Um, You should have come to us about 60, 70 years ago, right? Like... That's where we needed to be at in this scenario. That's what Abram has to be thinking. But once again, this is Yahweh who is creator. This is the God who out of nothing makes something. And we see God make this covenant with Abraham. And sure enough, you keep reading in this story, chapter 18 and 19, and you see this about a year later, Yahweh comes back and visits Abraham. And now Abraham and Sarah have a son who they call Isaac. His name literally means laughter because they were laughing saying, God, there's no way this could happen. And God said, nope, I'm going to fulfill my covenant with you. And sure enough, that's who he is. Yahweh is the giver of dreams and destinies. When you keep reading the story of God's people, what he did through this man's life, Abraham, you keep going. And there are two books in the Bible, two books in the Bible, which I politely call the most boring books in the Bible. Okay, If you've ever read these, they are full of... Some family tree that really don't mean a lot to us, right? Like we read them, and we're like, "What's going on?" They're in First and Second Chronicles. Let me give you a little piece of this. First Chronicles one eight, it goes like this, and this is the entire book and almost the entire next book. The sons of Ham, Cush, Egypt, Put, Canaan, the sons of Cush, Sheba, Hivalah, Sheptot, Rama, Shabateka. I don't even know if I'm saying these right. The sons of Rama, Sheba, and Dedan, and the father. Cush was the father of Nimrod, who was a great warrior. Egypt was the father of the Ludomites, Anamites, and it keeps going, right? Page after page. And I read this, and I was thinking about that. Yahweh is creator. We read that, and you're like, why did you do that? But do you guys realize that when the early people of God read this, and when they would talk about this, it wasn't just names? It was this idea that all of this came out of a 99 year old man and a 90. 90- year old woman who had not had a kid and what did they see when they read that they didn't just see names they saw Yahweh is creator Yahweh is creator Yahweh is creator through generations Yahweh is creator when you don't have hopes and dreams Yahweh is creator when you think your destiny has ended Yahweh is creator that's who he is over and over and over and over again he is promise keeper and he is faithful that's what he does All throughout the scripture, he creates something out of nothing where there was no hope, where there was no dreams, where there were no destinies. God speaks it into existence. That's what he does. We see this in first Samuel chapter six. There's another story of this, and it's the story of a young guy. It's the origin story. If you've ever heard of this guy named David who killed the giant Goliath, that's his origin story. It's right here. God's people had settled in this land, and they had wanted a king. So they got a king, but the first king was really bad. He was not a good guy. And so this is what God says. He comes to this prophet named Samuel, and he says, We're gonna, I'm going to show you who the next king of my people is going to be. And so you're to go to this guy's house named Jesse. And so Samuel goes to Jesse's house. I'm going to paraphrase this, but you can see it right there up there on the screen. Samuel says, Jesse, bring all of your kids here. Bring everyone. I want to see all your sons. Because God has chosen the next king from your family. And sure enough, the first son steps up, really good looking guy. And Samuel looks at him and thinks this has this has to be the next king. And God says, that's not who I've chosen. You look on the outside, but I don't look on the outside. I look at the heart. And the next guy comes up. Maybe he's stronger, a good warrior. Nope, that's not him. Business owner. Nope. Smartest guy in the bunch. Nope. And Samuel looks at Jesse and he's like, this is all of your son. We've gone through all of them. And no one, and Jesse's like, oh yeah, I forgot. There's the run of the litter. Like he's out in the field somewhere. He's taking care of sheep. I didn't even think about him. And Samuel's like, we're not doing anything until he gets here. And sure enough, David comes in and Yahweh says, that's the king. And you guys look at the history of David. He is one of the best and well-known kings in the whole nation of Israel. Like a matter of fact, jesus is linked to his lineage and is often referred to as the son of king david that's how he is the son of god like, like this connection that is there when no one even thought about him not even his only dad, not even his dad didn't even consider him to be up for the kingship like no not david he, he's the youngest guy i'm telling you yahweh creates it's just what he does In the dreams and the destinies of our life, when we think everyone has forgotten us, He creates. So let me tie all of this together. What do giraffes and duckbill platypuses and 99-year-old guys having kids, like what does that matter to me going to work or students going to school or the way that I live my life? And I want you to hear this, because you and I will face in our lifetime ups and downs. There will be moments, like David, where we feel like we have been forgotten. Someone wrote us off. There will be moments where God has promised things, and we're crying, saying, God, I don't see the dream coming to pass. It hurts, and this is what I need you to remember. Yahweh is creator, so he gives hope to the hopeless. In those moments in your life where you want to throw in the towel, where you want to say it's done, when you want to say, God can't use my life, Maybe he can use other people, but he can't use me. You need to see the stories of scripture. Yahweh is creator. It's what he does over and over and over and over again. It's just who he is. It's his essence. It's his nature. He takes the nothingness of our life and he makes something out of it. He takes the dreams that were broken and he rebuilds them maybe in a way that we didn't see or we didn't feel like this is the way the story should work. And he begins to create a new legacy. He creates a nation out of nothing. That's what he does over and over again. Ephesians 2, 4 says this. It's because of the great love of God for us. Him being rich in mercy, he has made us alive with Christ even though we were dead in transgressions. This writer is saying our life was amounting to nothing. We were basically dead. And yet, because of God's grace, you have been saved. I have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us in the heavenly realm with Christ Jesus. It's what Yahweh does. He creates, so he gives hope to the hopeless. Hebrews 10, 23 says this, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. It's saying when you feel hopeless, remember who your God is. He is creator. He takes the nothingness of your life and he makes something beautiful out of it. It's just what he does over and over and over and over again. And so I want to encourage you in a few ways that we can respond. How do we take action? Like, what do we do with a message like this? Because like I said, this isn't just some theological thing like, okay, yep, God's creator we believe he started all of this, but we want to look at what does this mean for my life? So let me give you a few practical ways of something or a way that we can do something with this message. The first is this, just really practical. If you have young kids, this could be a great thing. Or if you're a grandparent, aunt or uncle for ki- that have kids around, this could be a great thing. Is I want to encourage you um, to create a hope jar. Just do that. If you don't know where to start, write the word giraffe down because it's pretty amazing. Okay, and just in that jar, maybe write things that you're like, God, I don't know how you did this, but it's pretty cool. And then write things from your own life. Maybe there was a time where you didn't know how bills were going to be met. And you get a check in the mail or a bonus at work that you were not expecting. That's because Yahweh is creator. It's just what he does. And start writing those things down. Why? Because you're going to hit a difficult moment in your life. You're going to hit a moment where you're like, God, I don't know what you're doing. And this does not feel like the way that this story should work out. And you can pull something out of that jar and just see duckbill platypus. It's going to be okay. You do some pretty amazing things, God. Make a hope jar. Just take some time and reflect on that. And maybe as you remember that Yahweh is creator, it starts to bring faith back into your prayers dreams that you had, things that you've given up on hopes and desires that you've had in your life. But as you realize, God, you take nothing and you make something with it, I can begin to pray in faith again. God, maybe you could do something with my life. Maybe you could do something with my dreams. For those of you in the workplace or maybe students in what you do, ask God to create with you. He's made some pretty amazing stuff. Maybe in your workplace, maybe in the simple thing of parenting kids, he could help you be creative because that's just the kind of God that he is. It's not theological, you guys. It's just really practical. He wants to do every part of our life with us. He's still creating new things. He's still making great things. It's just who he is. I want to pray with you this morning. If you would take a moment and bow your head and close your eyes. And you may be here this morning, and maybe you don't know the God that I'm talking about. Maybe you've heard things about the Bible, or you've even heard things about God, but this is not the picture that you have of Him. I want to let you know this morning, His deepest desire in creating you and creating me is to be in relationship with us. He wants us to know Him. That's His heart. And if you're here this morning, either in person or if you're joining us online, and you don't know God... This morning, all of that could change. And I want to lead you in a simple prayer. That prayer just acknowledges this. God, I've messed up sometimes, and I've tried to do things my own way. All of us have. And we've tried to tell God, I don't need you in my life, and I can do this on my own, or I can figure this out by myself. That never works out okay. And this morning, the scripture tells us, we're seeing this and be reminded of this, that God loves us. He wants a relationship with us. And so if you're here disconnected from God, there's a simple prayer of just acknowledging that and saying, God, I want you to be in my life. And so I'm going to lead by praying this out loud, and I want everyone to say this out loud with me. You may be praying it for the first time. Maybe you've prayed it before. But listen, we don't want anyone to pray this by themselves. We don't want anyone to be afraid to say this out loud. So we're going to all say this together, both here in this room and everyone joining us online. Please repeat this out loud with me. Jesus, I come to you. I want you in my life. I admit that I've messed up. I know I've sinned. So forgive me. I invite you in. Be the Savior of my life. Be the Lord of my life. Give me a fresh start. I pray in your name. Amen. Now, can you just put your hands together and celebrate with anyone that prayed that prayer? The Bible says this, that all of heaven is rejoicing that the angels in heaven are jumping up and down and throwing a party when even one person prays that prayer. That's the heart of God is he wants to be in relationship with us as his creation. And so it brings him joy. And if that's you, if you're saying, hey, I've been disconnected from God, we want to give you an easy first step to starting this relationship with Jesus. And that is, if you'll go online and go to newcommunity.co slash connect track, it's a class that we have here um, on Sunday mornings. We do breakfast, and it's a great time just to learn about who is Jesus. And maybe you've not followed him before, so what does it look like to have a relationship? When you talk about being saved from my sins, what does that even mean, Aaron? So, like, this class does a great job of bringing other people around, and we just have those kinds of conversations, it's a safe place to ask any question. I don't know what this means, or what does God want for my life? It's a totally great place to ask those questions. We want you to start there. This is a great first step. We're going to respond in just one more simple way this morning, and that is this right here. We're just going to create a few moments of space for us to reflect on what it means that God is creator. And so we did this a few weeks ago. We're not going to have a formal dismissal. Our worship team is going to play. I don't want you to rush out this morning. Just take a second, maybe 30 seconds for some of you, maybe five minutes or 10 minutes, and just stop and reflect on that. What does it mean that you're creator? God, is there an area of my life where I need you to create something new? I need you to do something new. God, does my faith need to be rebuilt because Maybe I'm feeling hopeless in this moment and I need to be reminded that you take broken things and it's out of nothingness that you make something amazing. And so we're going to do that. We're just going to spend some time, pray, reflect, listen to God. Whenever you're done or you're ready, you can be dismissed. I love that we always talk and hang out together, but if we could do that in the lobby this morning, so just anyone that needs a little bit more time to just pray or reflect, they can do that in this room. You're not in a rush this morning. Take the time that you need. Let's do that. I'm going to start by praying, and then you can just spend some time reflecting, and whenever you're ready, you can be dismissed. God, thank you this morning for reminding us you are creator. We see it over and over again in our lives. We see it over and over again in the scripture. You take brokenness, and you make something amazing, God. You take nothing, and out of that, you speak something truly creative, Lord. And so, help us this morning. God, if we're feeling hopeless, Breathe hope back in our life because it's who you are. God, if we need your help, we're facing a situation we don't know how to handle, speak your creativity into our life. Lord, walk with us. God, I pray that right now, take these next few moments and just speak to us. We're listening as your people.